I must confess that I got slightly worried just then when Tim said it was a specific uh, command given to a specific group of people. I was glad when you ended that sentence with that we inherit that task. Otherwise, what I'm about to say (laughs) would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. So I'm glad you finished that sentence. (laughs) Because, you see, Jesus sent out the 12. It's the first time he'd sent them out on his own without going with them. And he basically told them to do exactly what he did. He gave them the power over evil forces and he gave them the power to heal sickness. And he told them to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. They were to travel in total freedom. They weren't to take anything with them because that would make traveling more difficult. No no staff, no bag, no food, no money. Not even a change of clothes. And it's understood that people would support them in return for the things that they did for them. And it was expected that places they went, they'd be offered hospitality. And they were told not to be choosy about where they were received. They were to stay in the first house that accepted them. And in places where their message and their service was not welcome, they were told to shake the dust off their feet. Now, this was a symbolic act um, that the Pharisees practiced when they left an unclean Gentile area. In this case, it signifies that people are not just rejecting the disciples, but they're rejecting God himself, who they bring with their message and with their healing. And so they went from town to town, preaching the good news, restoring people to wholeness wherever they went. It really was the beginning of the church. And it was the work of making the kingdom a reality. God's will being done on earth. And that same mission is entrusted to each one of us. Although the details perhaps are a little bit different. We're called individually and we're called as a church to proclaim the kingdom of God, to tell others about Jesus through our words and through our actions. And we're called to be free from negative forces of all kinds and all kinds of things that keep people captive, where to free them from that, or God is to do that through us. We're called to be sources of healing and wholeness, and we're called to live lives of simplicity and obedience to God. So that is the task. So how do we do it? Well, let's look at things in a little bit more detail to try and figure that one out. Now, verse 1 said, when Jesus called the 12 together, verses 1 to 2, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They were given this task by Jesus. They were given a task, and they were given what they needed to complete that task. They were given power and authority over demons and power and authority over sickness. They were given the power to heal sickness. And the first thing I want you to notice there is that they were given it. It was a done thing. They'd been given what they needed to complete the task ahead of them. God didn't, uh, Jesus didn't say to them, uh, do this and that and the next thing, and then maybe I'll think about giving you the power that you need. He said, you've got the power, I've given it to you, now go and do the task that I've asked you to do. They had it, all they had to do was use it. He gave them a task and he gave them the means by which to complete it. He didn't send them out unprepared and unequipped. He didn't leave them to come up with a plan himself, themselves. 
He gave them everything they needed and he sent them out to do the job. All they had to do was do it. And I say all they had to do like it was something simple and easy, you know, heal some people, cast out some demons, that kind of thing, just like that. But Jesus had given them what they needed so they could go and do those things. And they obviously trusted that he'd given him, uh, that they'd given them everything that he needed. And I think it's interesting that they were given authority not just over the physical realm, but over the spiritual realm as well. Because God cares about the whole of our lives. He cares about the details of our lives. He's not only interested in how we're doing spiritually, he's interested in every part of us. And it's important that we remember that. And you know, one of the interesting things about what they're called to do is that they weren't given specifics. They weren't told how long to stay in a certain place or how many people they were meant to heal. They weren't given targets and agendas. They were just told to go. And I reckon for us, we'd find that really difficult, wouldn't we? We spend far too long making detailed plans, which of course can be necessary, but in all too many instances, those plans we make and those details we decide kind of stop us from being open to God. They had to be entirely open to God. They had to be open to his guidance and they had to depend on him. You see, Jesus required total dependence from them. In verse 3, he told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Nothing with them at all. I'm not sure I'd be brave enough to do that. But they could do that because God was everything that they needed and he would provide everything that they needed. He didn't provide for them in an obvious manner and quail kind of way. He didn't provide for them that way. He provided them through the people that he met and the situations and the people that they came across. He provided for them through the communities that they were working in. But when there's a list of even basic things they shouldn't take, no staff, no bag, no money, no bread, not even an extra shirt, then that's a little bit harsh, don't you think? Or maybe... It's just asking that they have absolute 100% total dependence on God to provide what they need. If they had all this other stuff, it would tie them down and it would slow them up. But if they didn't, then they'd be free to do whatever they were led to do. And they'd be free to go wherever they were led to go. Because they wouldn't have anything holding them back. They wouldn't have anything that they had to consider any of those practical things, because they knew that that would be provided. They didn't have the material possessions that they had to worry about to take care of. They could focus on the job at hand, which was spreading the good news of the kingdom of God. But also, they didn't need all that stuff. I suppose, I was trying to think of what our modern-day equivalent would be, and I suppose it would probably be laptops and phones and stuff like that. But you see, they didn't need those things that they were used to having, not even the basics, because God was enough and he would provide. Now I heard a story about a previous Archbishop of Vietnam. I really can't say his name, so I'm not going to try, but he was the Archbishop of Vietnam. And uh, one of his names was something like Thuan, so we'll go with that, okay? And he was born in 1928, and he joined the seminary as a teenager, He was ordained as a priest in 1953, 
And in April 1967, he was appointed bishop of a place with a funny name as well. And on the 24th of April 1975, he was appointed Archbishop of Saigon. That's what I can say. Now, six days later, Saigon fell to the North Vietnamese army. And Thuan was targeted for his faith because he had previous association, or him and his, he was targeted for his faith and he had family connections with a former prime minister. He was detained by the communist government of Vietnam in re-education camp for 13 years, nine years of which he spent in solitary confinement. Now, being an archbishop, he put his time to good use. In prison, he smuggled out messages to people on scraps of paper. And these brief reflections, copied by hand and circulated within the community, have been printed in a book called The Road of Hope. And that was distributed worldwide. But also... During his first nine years of solitary confinement, he was also tortured. He was subject to all sorts of horrible things. And he had a number tattooed onto his arm or somewhere that was what he was then referred to as. He became a number. He didn't have a name. He suffered in so many ways. But through his faith and through his commitment to God, he, uh, one of his torturers became a, Chris, a Christian and ended up in prison with him. And during that time in prison um, with him, he taught him everything he knew and he trained him to be a priest and he later on ordained him as a priest too, which is quite amazing. Good use of time. You see, God used him in the most horrific of circumstances. And the thing is that after all of that, after everything he'd been to, he said that this time made him feel, he, well, during this time, he felt as if God said to him, now you have only me. Now you have only me. He knew he only had God to rely on. He knew he only had God to get him through the most horrific of circumstances. You see, God can do great things when we rely on him. It was the case for him, and it was the case for the disciples, and it was the case, it is the case for us. And when we think of those disciples, let's remember that God was enough. They didn't need all of that stuff because they had him. He'd provide for them. He'd give them everything they needed. He'd empower them and he'd give them the words to say. And he'd give them the authority to do what he asked them to do in his name. But also looking at it from another point of view, they were enough. God was enough, yes, but they too were enough. There was no magic formula that they needed before they could go out and go into the world and make a difference for him. A real, tangible, practical difference, healing people and freeing them up from demons. There was no qualification that they needed, no gimmick that they had to discover or create before they could step foot into the community. They simply had to go. They were simply sent as they were. They were enough. They were already part of their community and they had to go and become, for even a short time, part of other communities. And in doing so, they were the message. They, through what they did and they, what they said, were to be the message of the kingdom of God to those around them. They didn't need anything other than God and God didn't need anything other than them. I think more and more in society, especially um, with young people but not only with young people, we become too focused on the programme. 
We become too driven by a shiny shore and being part of the latest trends that come and go in Christian circles. And we think that unless we're under a certain age, then we can't reach out to young people. And it's not true. Equally, we might think that unless we're middle-aged and uh, middle-class, then we can't reach out to that demographic either. Also not true. You see, the disciples were sent out to meet and heal not only people of their own social status, which wasn't very high, by the way. They were sent to meet with anyone and everyone. The kingdom of God is for everyone. Everyone is invited, everybody is welcome, and everyone can be used by God to bring more people into his kingdom. And so this point of us being enough, I think that's important for us to remember. And I say it because so often people think that they can't do something or that they're not good enough. God made you the way you are. God can use you the way you are. When D.L. Moody was visiting England, he heard Henry Varley say, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to the Holy Spirit. Moody later commented, he said a man. He didn't say a great man, nor a learned man, nor a rich man, but simply a man. I am a man, and it lies within the man himself whether he will or will not make that entire and full consecration. I will try my utmost to be that man. You see, we don't have to be anything other than available and committed to be used by God. And that's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easy to hide behind gadgets and hide behind stuff and hide behind agendas and programs. But it's like God is saying you don't need to take that stuff with you because it will tie you down or slow you down or shift your focus or distract you. You don't need it. All you need is me. I am enough and you are enough. They were to be the message. And that is a costly thing to do, isn't it? It takes time and commitment and passion and energy. And well, it takes everything that you have. If you are the message, then it's a whole life thing, which is exactly what we've been talking about in the morning services. And that is what God asks of us. Now, Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing you see the disciples had to give of themselves they had to be ready to go and tell people the good news and more than that of course they wanted to and they went and God went with them and they had to trust him to guide them in all that they did and verse 4 said whatever house you enter stay there until you leave that town if people don't welcome you Leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Stay there until you leave that town. Don't go from place to place looking for who's going to put you up the best. Don't get distracted by everyday things like that. But stay there until you leave that town. He wanted them to be focused on the job at hand. He wanted them to stay in one place so they didn't end up going here, there and everywhere unnecessarily. Speaking of going here, there and everywhere unnecessarily, let me tell you about a journey I made this weekend. Now the reason I tell you this story is because um, earlier in the week I had a conversation with Doug and he was telling me, he said, actually, you said the other week that you're not good with directions and I think you were quite good with directions. And I was thinking about that and I thought, yeah, directions maybe, but following instructions, not so much. And uh, 
I know I've told you many times about my inability with sat-navs, but I'm going to tell you one more time, because last night I was coming back from Eastbourne, quite late on, and the sat-nav told me to turn one way, and I was in my own little world, went straight past, like I do many times. I usually get to the exit and go, oh, there it was, never mind, let it recalculate. And unfortunately, it recalculated to a road that was closed, so there's not a lot I could do about that. So I turned around and I tried to get it to go somewhere else and recalculate somewhere else. And short of going through Lewis about three times, and don't ask why I was going through Lewis on the way back from Eastbourne, and I think it's roughly in the right way, I end, don't really know, I ended up going completely the wrong direction. And I started off an hour and whatever away from home, and I ended up another 20 minutes away, let's put it that way. But, but the point is... <laughs> Yeah, I'm rubbish. So in the end, I had to turn that sat-nav off, and I had absolutely no idea where I was. And I mean, absolutely no idea. There was no street lights, there was no road signs, there was the odd house. But other than that, it was quite scary, in the dark, on my own, not much traffic around, not a clue where I was. So in the end, I decided, um, I turned the sat-nav on my phone on, and I thought, please, 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 this has to send me a different way. It cannot send me to that road close, which is the only way it's trying to go. And thankfully, eventually, I made it home, as you can tell, because I'm here today. But <laughs> the point is that I had to trust that my second option was going to send me the right way because I had literally no idea where I was. I can't remember the names of the places because I've never heard them before, because they're nowhere around here. <laughs> and... Do you know, honestly, I just had, I could only see a little bit of the screen as well. And it said, you know, you've got to go 100 yards and then turn that way. And, and I only saw a little bit at a time. And it was really frustrating. Not that I would have known if I could send the map anyway. But I had to trust what it was telling me. I had to trust that this time it was going to send me the right way. And I was going to get home if I followed its directions. It really, honestly was an issue of trust. And you know, we trust in different things every day. We trust the bus driver to drive us safely to where we're going to go. We trust all sorts of people day in, day out. We trust people, we trust things. And we exercise trust day in, day out, whether we realise it or not. The disciples truly knew what it was to trust. They had to trust God to provide for them, and they had to trust that he would guide them. David Livingstone, a pioneer missionary to Africa, walked over 29,000 miles. His wife died early in their ministry, and he faced stiff opposition from his Scottish brethren. He ministered half-blind, and his kind of perspective should spur us on. In his diary, he wrote, Send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever me from any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and your heart. That's trust in God to an extreme level. That's willingness to go wherever and do whatever we've been called to do that God is asking of us. So, verse 6 says, So they set out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. They did what they set out to do. How cool is that? They made a difference for God where he sent them. But you know, there's one thing 
that I want to point out, I couldn't decide whether to start with this or end with this. You'll be pleased to know that this is my ending and this is not where I'm beginning. But um, <laughs> it's important for us to understand this, to put the whole passage into perspective. The disciples went out and preached to people and they cast out demons and they healed the sick. But why did they do that? Well, because Jesus sent them. I've said that already. Well, how did they do that? Because Jesus had given them the power and he'd given them the authority. But how did they get to that point? They didn't just meet Jesus one day and do it all the next. Not saying that that wouldn't be possible, by the way, because I believe that God can do anything. But they did all this stuff based on a relationship with Jesus. Now, let me tell you one quick story to explain that. When I was um, about 20, I think, I went to America to work with some youth ministers over there just to get a bit of experience and see what they did over there because it's very different. And after about a week and a half, I caught myself using the word dude, right? <laughs> I don't say the word dude. <laughs> I'm from Bacup. That doesn't happen. We don't, we don't say dude. And then the point is that the people around me were using the word dude So without realising, I picked up the word dude. Because when you spend time with someone, you become more and more like the person that you're spending the time with, whether you realise it or not. Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it isn't, because you end up using the word dude. (laughs) But the disciples had spent time with Jesus. They'd got to know him, they'd become more and more like him. And so the point is this. We need to spend time with Jesus to become more and more like him, which is, incidentally, what we should be aiming for as Christians. Our goal, first and foremost, is not the things we can achieve for God, but the relationship that we have with him. It's not the hours we can clock up in church services or prayer meetings or, dare I say, church meetings. It's not the time we spend out there doing stuff for him. All of that is good and all of that is necessary, But all of that should be simply because of the relationship that we have with him. Because our relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. And yes, he calls us to make a difference for him where he's placed us. And yes, we need to trust him and step out in faith and do bold things for him. But most of all, we need that relationship. Because it's only because of that relationship that we can do all of those things. And where we are, let's step out in faith in the hope that our little things that we have to offer can make a big difference for him. Because I don't think it's insignificant that this sending out of the twelve comes directly before the feeding of the five thousand in Luke. That miracle shows God turning something very small into something huge. Something hardly worth bothering with into twelve baskets of leftovers. God did something massive with a small offering. So let's step out in faith, expecting that God will use what we offer, expecting him to take us, just us, nothing more and nothing less, to spread the message that we have, to spread the message of the kingdom of God, to heal the sick and to cast out demons. But more than that, because of our relationship with Jesus, let that be the reason. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you can use whatever we offer when we offer it in faith. 
Lord, we uh, commit ourselves to be used by you. And we ask that you will give us opportunities to speak to others about you. But most of all, we uh, thank you that we can be in relationship with you. And thank you that whatever we do in your name is not in our own abilities or in our own strength, but it's in yours. Amen.